Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. I recently heard many international pastors speak about a Christ-centered life. And as I considered their words, I realized that having an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, an intimate with Jesus, a relationship with him, requires, it demands, it insists that Jesus is the center. He is the center, our main focus, the very breath of our lives. And my hope is that you will realize the wonderful beauty of a Christ-centered life. You release fear, anger, hatred, and receive from him peace, joy, love. It is a wonderful life being Christ-centered. Amen? Amen. So just to settle everyone's questions, the pastor is fine. He's out of town with a very strong purpose. He is seeking the Lord. He's gone away. He's by himself. And he wants to spend very intimate time with Jesus that he can bring for us a fresh word. Um, you know, over the last five weeks, since the beginning of the year, we have been in a series called Prepare. And there was a purpose for that. Oh, I promised those guys I wouldn't pace around. Obviously, I'm not doing too well. That we would prepare because that was a word that the Lord had given him in May of 2021. He said, prepare. And the last five weeks have been instructions and directions about what prepare means. The first week, the, the pastor taught us what it means to have a biblical fasting and in, in encouraged all of us to participate in a biblical fast and what the benefits of that are. You know, dieting will change the way we look. Okay, I'm not an example. But fasting will change the way we see. Biblical fasting is denying our physical desires and cravings so that we may develop a spiritually mature relationship through seeking, hearing, and obeying Holy Spirit. It is not just a matter of not eating. 
It is a time to press in to the presence of God. Have any of you ever made cookies and used a, a cookie cutter? You have to press into that dough to make it take its shape. And see, when we press into the Lord, we begin to take his shape. That's what we're after. And then change was the subject of the next week that the pastor brought to us, and he preached about change. We do not have to look long and hard to see how quickly changes are taking place throughout the world, do we? And the ever-changing advances of technology, I mean, how old is your phone? Well, it's outdated already. But it is permitting us to look upon events as they happen. And he said, some changes are good. Some changes are healthy and needed. But some changes are treacherous and ungodly. And we must be able to distinguish between a godly, a right, or an ungodly, an evil change. The subtle, and sometimes not so subtle, changes of systems and beliefs are the most disturbing. They should be disturbing you. Because injustice and deception has crept into every society, every culture, every government, every business, almost every. You know, there's a handful that are left. And unfortunately, even into some churches. The third week, we heard about vision. Now, this was not a sermon on 2020 eyesight. <laughs> this was talking about setting goals. It was about having spiritual growth goals, physical health goals, financial stewardship goals, and taking the steps to prepare for our next season of life. Because, you know, new seasons are always coming, right? I mean, wasn't it that long ago we were saying, oh, it's so hot, I can't wait for the cool of winter to come. And now we're going, when is summer going to be here? <laughs> we're accustomed to the changes. But we were told that the key to vision, or the keys, rather, are to be focused and to be committed the challenge of vision is that we must choose wisely what we are to be focused and committed upon because the spiritual realm impacts the physical realm and the physical realm impacts the spiritual realm. And then on the fourth week, the pastor told us about action. You see, action is the outward expression of what is in our heart, in our mind, in our soul. There are godly and there are ungodly actions. We know that, right? And we must guard our expressions. We must guard how we act out. Because 
we have to pause sometimes and just listen to Holy Spirit take us in the direction that would glorify him, our Lord. We know Holy Spirit will lead us into all truths. And sometimes the truth of the matter is just be quiet. Because sometimes when we open our mouths to express ourselves and how we're feeling about it, yeah, that doesn't work so well all the time. So, And last week, thank you, Lewis, he defined for us who are and what are ministers and what it means to be a minister and what the roles of the ministers are. Ministers are called to serve. Ministers are called to love one another. And that leaves none of us out. So that was our understanding on this word of prepare. That was the what. What are we to prepare? Well, we're to prepare these things I just spoke of. We have to prepare for change. We have to prepare for action. We have to prepare to fast. We have to prepare. And now that leaves us wondering, why? Why? To the what of prepare, we need to know why to prepare. Because without that, most of us won't move. And I can tell you, one word would answer all of that. The why? The word is Jesus. It is Jesus. He is why we should fast. Jesus, because he can cause us to change. He will lead us into his perfect vision for us. He examples the actions we should take as his true disciples and ministers. Jesus is our eternal hope. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is the one who sanctifies us. It's Jesus. We need no other why. That is all-encompassing. He is our eternal hope, our deliverer. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we know what now we need to do to prepare, and we know why we need to prepare. So that leaves the um, how. How can we do these things? And I'm glad you asked. By having a Christ-centered life, that is, an intimate relationship with Jesus, we come to realize something very important. I want to thank Mike because I made a call and he came running with this that I need. You see, this is called a plumb line. There are two parts to a plumb line, the string and the weight. A plumb line is necessary for making sure that what is being built, and we are, is straight, is plumb, is how it should be. Because without this, and you know how it works? It's really simple. It's called gravity. 
We like our gravity. It keeps us grounded. And this same gravity causes this plumb line to go straight down. It will show us if the foundation is strong and solid. It will show us if the wall being built is straight. Now, can it be? And you're going, wait a minute, how can it show you about the foundation? Well, if you put this like this, and all of a sudden you realize it's like this. Oh, well, let me explain it to you. Have you ever heard of the Tower of Pisa? Do you know it has straight walls? Do you know it's the foundation on which it was built? Did you know the Tower of Pisa was built to be a church on a bad foundation? No one can go into it. Its use is now just something to take pictures with. No one goes in there. It's a church that was built on faulty foundation. Ooh, ow. But its walls are straight, straight wrong. Why? Why a plumb line? Why talk about building? Are we not stones that the Lord uses to build his house? Huh. So what happens if it's not correct? We will, you know, I, I would tell you this. Jesus is our plumb line. Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is the builder. And we'll explore some of the others, but I want to stick with this plumb line because I just love it. Two parts, the string, the weight. What do those represent? The truth is the weight at the bottom. The plumb line doesn't sway. It doesn't tell a lie. It goes straight down. That's the truth. It's the heaviness of it. And the string that's the grace by which it hangs. In the book of Amos, and it's a book that's in the Old Testament in case you've never run across it. I want to give you a little bit of background because this book is very important to us. Of course, all of them are in the Bible in case you hadn't figured that out yet. And all of them have nuggets of truth that we need today. So I talk about the plumb line. First, let me give you the background of the history about this particular book. You see, God had created a people through the 12 sons of Jacob, later called Israel. And the 12 of Israel became a place that we call Israel, that God named Israel. They were collectively Israel. And Israel, after the people had demanded that they wanted a king, what a mistake, because God had been ruling over them, they had a period of 120 years with three kings. Saul was the first. He started out good. And then he got off the path. And he started leaning. And then David. David came in strong. David finished strong. He was good. Now, he had some bumps along the ways. We know that. But he came in strong, and he finished strong. 
And then we had David's son, Solomon. Solomon came in, right, and then became leaning. 120 years, those three kings. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, came in. When Rehoboam came in, there came with it division over politics, over religion, over monies. I'm not going to point to anyone. I'm not going to point to anything that we have going on, not here or in the rest of the world, but don't those things sound familiar? Arguments and chaos over money, over politics, over religion. Hmm. So the northern, or what happened is what was once a united Israel became divided. Two different kingdoms. Ten tribes of the twelve took the northern portion and was known then or thereafter the kingdom of Israel. The southern portion had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and they were called the kingdom of Judah. That's what happened. This split occurred, and they were separate entities, two separate kings, different ways, but really still all one people. They were all Hebrews. And in the midst, now I can tell you that the northern kingdom lasted for about 200, a little over 200 years, and from the first king <laughs> to the last king before they were captured by the Assyrians and taken into captivity, they never had a, a good king. And all of them were wicked. They had one that kind of started in, and it didn't last long. Ruled by wicked kings for over 200 years. Yikes. Southern kingdom, they had their own gig going. Good king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, good king. They lasted almost 150 years longer than the northern kingdom of Israel did. The southern kingdom of Israel was, I mean of Judah, sorry, was finally taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And somewhere in the center of this time, while both were still existing and not yet into captivity, God spoke to Amos. This book I want us to look at. Now, I love this part. Amos wasn't into government. Amos wasn't into religion. He wasn't studying to be a priest. He wasn't trying to be a governor. Amos was a shepherd. He took care of sheep. He knew where to take them. He led and fed his sheep. And it was this humble servant that God said, hey, Amos, let's talk. And Amos was like, whoa, all right, God. He wasn't trained for this, but he wasn't going to ignore it either. And God gave him 
a powerful word, a scary word. It almost was like the world as we know it will never be the same. Wait, what? And he told Amos these things that he wanted his people to know. Northern Israel, southern Judah. I want them to know. And he gave him some visions. One of the visions that the Lord showed Amos was all these locusts came upon the land and ate everything. Nothing was left. Now, Amos is a shepherd. He takes care of sheep. He's like, um, God? No, I don't. And God said, okay, I won't. So then God showed him another vision. Fire consuming everything. And he was like, uh, Lord, can we talk? I, I don't think that's a good idea either. He said, okay, I won't do that. And then he showed him a vision. And in the vision, it says that a plumb line. He showed him a vision of a plumb line. Even back then, they looked the same. This is, this is thousands of years old, and it still serves in the same manner. And he said it would become the symbol of the standard by which God's people would need to live. It represents a standard by which the faithful need to live, a measure from which divine judgment is gauged, a plumb line. Now, at the time that Amos was given this word, the outward appearances of both kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel look good. They look good on the outside. Prosperous, jobs, money flowing. They look nice. But the stench, the stench of the moral decay was reaching the nostrils of God. They were on the outside looking good. Or did they? Because they fooled not one time God. They had embraced arrogance. They had embraced idolatry, self-righteousness, and materialism. This book doesn't sound like it's hundreds and thousands of years old, does it? And they were shunning Justice, righteousness, and the truth of God. Remember, I'm talking about the Hebrews, Israel, the people of God. Hmm. And they had turned their back on him, and it was at that time in the mess, in the middle of this chaotic mess that was created by pride, deception, greed, violence, and corruption, that the Lord said, enough. Enough. So, in chapter 7 of Amos, 
in verse 7, it says this. Then he showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing by a wall that had been built with a plumb line. And he was holding. The NLT said using. He was holding, using a plumb line in his hand to see if the wall was still straight. That should awaken all of us. This doesn't lie. It's not affected by the wind. It's affected by gravity. And it points true. It does not change. It does not change like whom? Like our Jesus. He doesn't change. And he said this, I'm going to give you a symbol, a plumb line, that it will become the standard that God's people need to live. Remember the what? Remember the why? It is a measure God holds in his hand against the wall he built. The wall was built with the plumb line. At one time it was plumb, but now he's going to see if it still is. Each one of us, each one of us, when you come up against the plumb line of Jesus, who is the truth, it's heavy, it's difficult. And we realize when we get up next to him, we may actually be way over here. I know that we need the correction to make us like this. It's an old instrument still being used, and God said, I'm going to give you a plumb line in the midst of my people by which you will learn what I'm desiring and how I want you to act. He went on in verse 8 in the book of Amos and said this. Hey, Amos. Okay, that's not how he said it. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? If I were to ask you, I know Mike would answer it correctly, and most of you might be able to. What do you see? That's what he answered. Amos said, I answered, a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore their sins. See, we want to believe that when the plumb line came in the flesh and dwelled among us, called the Word of God, we want to believe that everything's okay now. I can just, I can do what I want to because I've got Jesus. Well, Jesus is a plumb line. He doesn't change. He doesn't move. And God's holding it in his hand. Do we really want to play with that? Do we really want to end up another leaning tower built one way but useless? Every situation, every situation, hear me, every situation we face 
we can find the answer in Christ. But only if you were living a Christ-centered life. I want to read you a little bit more about a plumb line. This I received from this international symposium we just attended. Most Christians have probably never heard of the plumb line because it is not something that is often taught. We seem to have strayed from the strict standard God has given us. And we have succumbed to the pressures the world system exerts upon us. Why? Why? We have the plumb line. We, can, we should be the ones standing erect and tall and leading, not wanting to blend in. When we think of the plumb line, we should think of something that is perpendicular to a foundation. It is a standard that does not vary. It does not lean to the left or the right. It is not swayed by the wind or the rain. Okay, I know we have powerful winds around here, but I'm telling you that weight is heavier than we think. It points true. Truth does not deviate or change its position. Truth is not a concept or an idea. It's a person. Jesus identified himself and said, I am the truth. A plumb line in the hand of God is for measuring so that people might know what God requires of them. God demands a life that is plumb according to his justice and righteous demands. One might ask, well, how can God demand perfection from imperfect vessels? <laughs> That's an easy answer, too. Because he's put his spirit in us. We have no wiggle worm to say, wiggle room to say, hey, I can do it. That's because you chose to not yield. That's because you chose to not listen. That's because you chose to not obey. And what God wants is to come back and discover us who said, yes, yes, God. Because right now is the time to prepare. And we know what the standard is. The chief cornerstone. The plumb line. The building of God. Do we agree? Now we know what to do. So, Father, I just thank you for constantly showing us you and changing our hearts and lives to draw us closer to your holiness. For you have called us to be holy because you are holy and because your holiness dwells within us. Help us, Lord. Help us to not ignore you so that we ourselves can be 
satisfied. Help us not be in battle with our flesh, but to die our flesh. That your spirit may so shine in us that others will be drawn to you. Father, we just thank you. And now, Father, speak to each one of us as we just reflect upon what you have told us.